on this side of the microphone today. Normally, I'm the guy in the back who gets to uh, harass our teacher for not turning on his microphone or <laughs> plugging something in wrong. Or he's got we've got the bigger headsets, and he's got this horrible habit of like wanting to greet people in the lobby and take his microphone and throw it over his shoulder. And I have to remind him every week that that's an expensive tool and not a toy. And please quit moving my microphone. But um, so. It has, been a, uh, it has been a long time since this has regularly been my role. I, uh, I jumped onto a church plant team about eight years ago for what I thought was going to be a year or two, and God was going to teach me a few things and move me into something else. And eight years later, as my oldest daughter, that was my oldest daughter in the video, she's about to turn 16, and um, if we want to throw that picture of my family up there... Um, my oldest daughter is about to turn 16. Her name is Robin. Uh, Bethany's on the right, and she is 13. And Emily, with the super huge grin at the bottom, is nine. And, um, and my wife, Chris. So my name is Chris. That's my wife, Chris. And this is my family. But as I, as I turn 40, as my daughter's about to turn 16, as my body starts to feel the, that, that tipping point, Way too many people told me when 40 hits, you'll feel it, and I laughed at them, and now I wish I had made different choices in my life. But, um, um, but as, we're, as we're getting ready to be here, I've, I've, been at, I've been at Kensington Church for almost eight years. Um, if you count the time pre-launch, it's probably closer to nine. Um, I met Kevin because a friend of mine dragged me to lunch, and... Uh, I didn't really want, wasn't looking for anything like that, but, but it was a free lunch, and so I went, and uh, it was at one of my favorite restaurants, and so I, I put up with meeting this guy, and um, like I said, I, I thought we were jumping in for a couple years, and eight years later, we're in a great place, we're in a great place as a church, we're in a great place as a family, um, I've, I've served in a number of different roles at the church, everything from completely behind the scenes to I was the arts guy running the whole arts side of what we do on Sunday mornings to now I'm back behind the scenes as the production guy and I've had all these different roles and things are good and somewhere in the midst of all that God kind of grabbed me and and threw me over the side and um, and so so starting the summer as John said I'm jumping in as the director of operations and communication for a global city mission initiative and it has been a long time since I've done anything like that. I like being behind the scenes. I like being the guy who's pushing buttons. And I was telling Diana this morning, like it's, it's really easy for me, well, not easy, right? But it's comfortable for me to sit in the back and be the guy who's producing and directing because I'm in control. And uh, this is uncomfortable for me because um, like... I've left room in my notes for God, and like that scares the junk out of me. So, so I'm out of practice. This isn't what I do. Let me tell you real quick a little bit about Global City Mission Initiative. And um, we are at Piney Grove Christian Church. We're over at Piney Grove Christian Church. I understand it's not too far. We're over there tonight specifically doing a presentation about Global City. So if, if you've got time, if you're interested, catch me afterwards. Um, you know, come on over tonight, and I'd be happy to share more about what we're doing. But Global City Mission Initiative, Global City, now I messed it up. Thank you very much. Global City Mission Initiative, our tagline is making disciples at the world's crossroads. 
because that is our primary goal and purpose. Um, it started with Jared Looney, our director, our executive director, as a single missionary in the city of New York. He was there to plant churches. He was there as a traditional missionary, just doing the best he could. He opened a few churches. He closed a few churches. He met people. He shared the gospel. Things went well. Sometimes they didn't. But in that process, he kind of discovered a, a truth and a reality and a strategy that the whole world is coming through these global places. And if you know anything about New York, New York, that's been true there for 100 years. But if you know anything about the world around us, it's starting to be true everywhere. And so, so we took that strategy out of New York. We currently have four, about to be five, full-time missionaries in New York City that are doing that. Discipleship, evangelism, uh, church training, local Christian mobilization. And we took that strategy from New York, and we've got a guy in L.A. Jared moved to Tampa, and we're about to onboard a, another full-time guy in Tampa. I'm in Orlando. We've got five interns in Orlando. And our whole goal, our whole point and purpose is to reach people who maybe would never walk into a church but especially to reach people who are, who are mobile, who are agile, who are maybe they're literal immigrants or maybe just their job is that transient kind of job, and reach them with the gospel so that when they go, they reach others with the gospel. So that's what we're doing, and um, it's really exciting. And I told John, you know, it'd be great if I could you know, preach a message on that or if I could preach a message on jumping off the cliff because that's what me and my family are doing. And he said, no, I want you to preach a message on isolation. So, so I'm going to tell you about isolation. And um, actually, I want to share with you today, I'm going to preach from a passage, 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's the passage that comes after one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And I'm going to, I'm going to summarize that story quickly for you. A lot of you probably know it. You've learned it in Sunday school. You've taught it in Sunday school. But in case you don't, I'm going to give you the quick overview of 1 Kings chapter 18, which is the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal. And if you remember the story, or if you know the story, Elijah is coming up against 450 prophets of Baal, and it's just him. It's just him against 450 guys who are worshiping a false god who have the favor of the king, who have the favor of the country, and Elijah is alone against these 450 guys. Except as you read through, you realize he's putting a lot of trust and faith in God, which is the great part of the story, but even the words he uses, he says, it is just me against you 450. So even in the moment of him about to be triumphant over all these guys, it's just him against the enemy. And I'm alone, and you 450 prophets. And so he has this great victory, right? He prays, fire comes from heaven, it's amazing. And uh, one of my favorite parts of the story, he, he has this moment with the rain where he's, he's looking, he's waiting, and God's like, hey, it's going to rain, and he's like looking and waiting and it rains, and it hasn't rained forever, and it's this great triumphant moment. 
And then 1 Kings 19 says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. I just realized that my, my app switched versions of Scripture. That doesn't match what I was planning on reading. I apologize. Technology is my friend, I promise. Um, I'm going to switch it to what you guys are reading. I'm sorry. That's where technology is awesome. So the end of verse 9, there, there he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And God gives Elijah some instructions, and at the very end of that section it says, I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. And as I was, was praying about this message, John and I started talking about this a few months ago, and as I was praying about this message and I was, was thinking about this message, um, this, this little section of Scripture, God, God is, is pulling Elijah out of this, this point of depression and out into the wilderness, and he's literally coming face-to-face with God in this moment, whatever that was like. And Elijah's going, but I'm all alone. And, and I thought to myself, you're, you're coming from a story where you're walking up to the top of a mountain, there's 450 prophets of Baal, and whoever else is there, whatever other witnesses, we know there were other people there on the top of Mount Carmel because Elijah commands the crowd, whoever, 
to take these prophets and bring them to this other place and kill them. There's enough other people that, that 450 prophets of Baal were slaughtered because of Elijah's victory. And Elijah's going, but I'm alone. I'm all by myself. What am I going to do? And I think, how in the world does he miss this? And so God brings him to this place so that way he can have this one-on-one encounter with him. And Elijah's going, but I'm alone. I'm all by myself. I'm just going to die. And I think about the times in my life, my, my oldest is about to be 16, and, um, and she's not here, so I can tell stories on her. And, um, and we just, I feel like I have the same interaction with her all the time. I'm alone. I have no purpose. And then 20 minutes later, like, she's bouncing off the wall, excited to go do something cool. And like, what is wrong with you? Like, you've, you've got a, a family around you. You've got friends from church, you've got other adults from church that you could pick up the phone and call anytime you want, and ultimately, you've got a relationship with Jesus that you can lean into that, that just exceeds anything your friends have going for them. And you're going to sit in your room and go, but I'm alone, what am I going to do? And I think about my own life, and I know I have found myself there. I found myself in the middle of a hard task at work or in the middle of a project and just feeling completely overwhelmed. Like, how in the world is little old me going to pull this off? And just yesterday, I was standing on top of a mountain and God, God, not me, God won a victory that is bigger than anything I could ever accomplish. And yet, here I am again going. John and I talk all the time, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. But, but the last six months have been this like incredible pendulum swing roller coaster of, there's, what do I have to worry about? God called me to this ministry. Who cares about the money? By the time we hit May, this will be a piece of cake. And then the next day, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> there is no way. In the midst of all the, the housing fun of 2008, we ended up short-selling our house. I ended up without a job. We ended up with baby number three. Like, it all kind of happened. Um, in fact, my, the job I did have, my boss went out of business, so I had a new manager. I went from working overtime to barely making 30 hours a week. And I watched God walk through all of that and take care of us. But, but how in the world am I going to raise a little bit of money to make this thing happen? I don't know about you, but, but I find myself there way more often than I'm comfortable with because I know God has the power. I've watched him do amazing things in my life, and the next one comes along. And I, I would say, for me, if I'm honest, those moments are about self and sin. Because I turn back on myself. I don't know what Elijah doesn't tell us, but I I would imagine Elijah felt pretty proud about that moment coming off of Mount Carmel. 
look at what I did. And I would imagine if he were looking back, that's part of where this problem came in because he felt confident going up against prophets of Baal. And when Jezebel shows up, he doesn't feel confident anymore. And whatever it was in that situation, God didn't change. Elijah changed. One of the things Robin threw out in in that little video at the beginning was this idea of who can you call at 2 a.m.? You guys started this whole series, like, and even the little teaser after it, you started this whole series about unity. And John chapter 17, I believe that's what you were sharing in that message one. God, or Jesus talks about over and over again this concept of unity and love and that, that we will know that, we're, that Jesus is who he says he is because of the unity and love that we share with each other. And so that 2 a.m. idea is, comes out of the, the church that I'm a part of. We have these seven values that are kind of like our guiding principles for how to live out our mission. And one of them is as a family. And, you know, that's easy to throw out and go as a family, and that feels fuzzy. So we threw a question with it to go, how do you know that you're living out this as a family? And the question that goes with it is, who are your 2 a.m. friends? Who can you call at 2 a.m. when you have a problem and know that that's going to be taken care of? And vice versa, who can call you when your phone rings at 2 a.m.? Are you going to answer it and jump into it? And this whole idea of isolation, what I was just talking about with Elijah, like if Elijah got it, if Elijah really believed that God had the power to send fire from heaven and destroy the prophets of Baal, why in the world does Elijah not believe that God has the power to protect him from this woman? But whatever it was in his life, he wasn't there where he could believe that. But the beauty of the family of God is that when I hit those moments, I don't have to rely on me. I can call John, at 2 a.m. if necessary. That backfired me on the other day, by the way. He called me in the middle of my church service thinking he was going to leave a voicemail. And I went, John's not going to call me on a Sunday morning unless it's important. So I'm mixing service and talking on the phone and like, oh, I was just going to leave you a message. Idiot. Like, but like, who can you call? Who can call you? I mean, John's a great guy, but he's 10 plus hours away. My buddy JD, my buddy Ben Brooks, that are in my men's group. We meet together every Tuesday, Wednesday night, depending on our schedules each week. We meet together every week and we talk about the junk that we're going through in our lives and we put it out there. And Ben literally lives a subdivision away from me. And if I picked up the phone, Ben would be in his car and he would come help me out. Now, Ben's young in his faith. I've been trying to get him to understand that that works both ways because I'll get stories of like, yeah, you know, Something flooded in the kitchen, and I was up till, dude, why didn't you call me? I didn't want to bug you. And so we find Elijah underneath a bush waiting to die because he won't pick up the phone. And that's the beauty of this family of God thing, is that I don't have to wait under a bush to die alone because I have people who are going to pick me up 
and carry me. And on the flip side of that, that 2 a.m. thing is hard because people pick up the phone and call and go, hey, can you help me out? And you know, well, I guess if, if I have to. I was up here, some of, you, some of you guys I know better than others, but I was up here for the hurricane in September. We, uh, we had a uh, you know, little windstorm come through Orlando and we decided to get away. Um, and it wasn't as bad as it could have been, but, but I got pictures from the neighbors and there was a tree in my front driveway. And from the picture, it looked bad and had we been there, my car would probably be gone. So it was a good thing we left. But from the other pictures that I got from from one of the guys at church, that thing literally covered my driveway, front to back, top to bottom. There was not an inch of concrete that wasn't covered. And uh, if the chainsaw hadn't broke, it would have been gone by the time I got back in town. And as it was, it was just this little log that took about half an hour to clean out because the men at our church jumped in and made a difference. Um, I wanted to share a good story from one of our missionaries in New York, but I'm going to keep going because I don't want to be here all day. Um, and you probably don't either. But, but this whole idea, it costs something. It costs something to be this side of, of that, that relationship. It costs something to be available at 2 a.m. And so, so, you know, know that God has got you but as a member of the family of God, be on the lookout for the people around you that need to be reminded that they're not alone. They're not isolated. They have you to step into their lives. They have this community to step into their lives and to live that out. There's one other thing that Robin threw out in that thing, and she threw it out almost as an aside, but she talked just so briefly about email and blogging. And she could have said Pinterest or, or, gosh, I just forgot what all those stupid social, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's like, they're, they're all... And let me tell you, statistically, and it's coming out more and more, statistically, these things are becoming a huge distraction both to our lives in relationship to God and our lives in relation to each other. And, um, and again, I can pick on my daughter. She's right in that demographic. She's got people in our, in our house that she could hang out with. She's got friends at school she could hang out with. And she gets home from school and she jumps on her computer. And weirdly, after a few hours, she feels alone and feels depressed instead of feeling connected and encouraged. And I started thinking, you know, it'd be really easy because I'm just over that line. I'm just over that tipping point where I can be a part of that generation that goes, those young people who are right. <laughs> Not quite, but close. And then I started thinking about my grandpa watching football and he'd invite guys over to the house and they'd watch a football game and they wouldn't say a word to each other for hours. And they thought they were in community together and they thought they were connected and these things in our lives, whether they're smartphones or, or television or whatever it is, these things in our lives, we think, and sometimes they can be, right? And that's the dangerous part, because we want to either go to the one extreme and go, that's why smartphones are dumb, let's throw them all out, 
or we want to go to the other extreme and go, it doesn't matter, let's just embrace it. They can be a hindrance of real community and real relationship. And I think the worst part is they can be a lie that makes us think that we're engaging in a deeper community and a deeper relationship. Every youth minister I know has a Snapchat because that's how you get connected to kids. And it's a great way to get connected to kids if it's the way you get them in the room so that you can face-to-face have a conversation with them. But if your only relationship is through the technology, if your only relationship is the football game, that's not community. That's not connection. That's just isolation pretending to be something else. So the, the worship team is going to come up here in a second and they're going to lead us in a, in a closing song. And, and there's just three things that I want to challenge you with this week. As, and and it, depending on where you're at in your life, depending on what's going on, maybe one of these hits you differently than another one. Maybe one of them you need to remember in a month or three or Tuesday because you got something going on. But number one, don't let your sin, i.e. your pride, your fear, your shame, separate you from God and make you feel like you're in this by yourself. Number two is open your eyes and look around. And don't just look around here. And um, I, I remember just years of Bible college classes, years of sitting with other ministers. You know, people walk in on a Sunday morning and they look shiny and happy. In the South, you ask somebody how, how they're doing, everybody smiling, happy. Oh, I'm doing great. How about you? God bless, right? But look around and engage with the people around you and find out how they're really doing and be willing to push into and step into their stuff, even at the expense of your own, your own time, your own convenience, your own availability. And then number three is don't let the tools in your life, the toys in your life, however you want to view this kind of stuff, don't let that create an obstacle We threw out this great little acronym thing the other day at church, especially related to our technology, but, but, you know, Kevin was saying we should divert daily, we should withdraw weekly, we should abandon annually. Like, we need to have these moments in our life where we go, I'm out. Um, We we have a no cell phone rule for dinner, and and honestly, it's usually my wife that breaks it, not the kids. (laughs) But, you know, which, uh, yeah, that's always a great family conversation. But, you know, like, we, we need to have moments where as a family, as a church, um, we're, we're just leaving that stuff aside. And we're actually engaging in relationships so that we're not isolated. We're not disconnected. But we are face-to-face as a family, as a community, pointing ourselves to each other and to Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, thank you. God, I just thank you that you have power. You have the power to send fire from heaven. And God, you have the power to remind us that we're not alone. God, Elijah 
got into his own junk and into his own head and felt defeated and felt alone and felt isolated. And God, um, you were there the whole time. And God, I just pray that as we walk through our lives this week and every week, that you just remind us that, that you're with us. God, I pray as we walk through our lives and look around and shake hands and, and uh, you know, try to be a good friend, God, I hope and pray that you just give us the, the wisdom and the strength and the courage to dive into that next layer and just uh, be the answer to a prayer that maybe hasn't even been prayed yet to help people to not feel alone and feel isolated. God, you've, you've got a love for us that just exceeds anything. And God, just help us to share that with others. Just be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been great to be here with you all today, to worship with you, to, uh, to, to just be around you, to be in God's presence with you. And uh, I just want to encourage you all as we go today, because now it's time to go. If you're like Elijah, I always get those two confused. Maybe you're in a season right now where you just feel like you're alone. I want you to look around, not just this room like Chris said, but as you leave here, look around because you are not alone. You are not the only person going through whatever it is you're going through right now. I promise you, someone has been there, done that, and has a t-shirt. So as we look to unity, you are not alone. Also, you are not meant to go through this alone. So no matter where you are, just know you are not isolated. You are not alone. You, if no one else is around you but God, God plus one is always a majority. And don't forget that. I'm going to have Chris out in the foyer to, to share more with you if you have any questions. But it really has. It's been great to be here with you. And as you go this week, go knowing you are not alone. Will you sing this last song with us?